I have no idea for the opening of this show this week. I was I was going to totally cop out and do like a clip from something because I couldn't think of anything funny. And I was trying to come up with a shallot. I was coming. I had an idea of like, because and because the titles I was coming up with it was so bad. I was like, it should be that shallot has a robot of himself called the Sha- <laughs> the shallotron 84 who generates <laughs> reviews. But, you know, and I, I can't even remember what I had. I actually deleted it entirely because I was like, these are so bad. It was like a lonely guy, more like doo, 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 doo. <laughs> we only cry. <laughs> I mean, it just, it was <laughs> Shilkwood, more like doo, doo, doo. MILF good, which is, she oh kind of is a good MILF <laughs> in that movie. But, wasn't that wasn't that another street movie, The Good Milf? <laughs> <laughs> but Fred, your idea is very good, and I, I don't I don't have anything written, so we can't do it. But I want. I, I thought it should have been. Yeah, I was saying that it should be. You should start off with your shallot and be like, oh, in 1984, blah blah blah, and then suddenly you hear, a la Silkwood. We hear Dan and I come in and drag you off. Just go, no, no, no. We I haven't been struck down. like this like that night at the limelight. <laughs> oh God! Uh, Gene Shallot and radiation equals podcast magic. <laughs> That's the only thing better than regular Gene Shallot. Glow in the dark. Gene <laughs> Did they ever make a Karen Silkwood nightlight? But I no. digress. Oh, Jesus. oh God! Coming soon. This summer, at theaters everywhere, opening weekend, rated R. Welcome to episode 35 of Opening Weekend, the movie podcast that travels back in time to revisit opening weekends of the past and revel in that other great American pastime, going to the movies with our friends. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear, dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we travel all the way back to January 27, 1984, baby. <laughs> I don't know why I said oh it like that. <laughs> and, the, uh, and the wide release of Mike Nichols' Silkwood, starring Meryl Streep, Cher, and Kurt Russell, as well as Woody Allen's Broadway Danny Rose and Steve Martin in The Lonely Guy. But before we get underway with the week's films, Fred and Dan... Where were you guys in January of 1984? I was in sixth grade in Mr. Gebick's class at Munsey Park School. And Dan and I were talking before the podcast. I was enjoying what seemed to be like one of the most incredible years in movies ever. Yeah. We were looking at all the movies that came out in 1984, and holy smokes. Loose Ghostbusters, right? I mean, so many. Yeah, it was nuts. Gremlins, Romancing the Stone, Splash. Beach Street. Beach Street, Karate Kid. Yeah. Amadeus. Amadeus, Ooh. Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, like it's yes. just wow. The Terminator, the Terminator came out. A Nightmare out. on Elm Street. I mean, yeah. wow. so many good fucking. Things. This was a good goddamn year for movies. Speaking Cannibal of, Run Two. Oh, so good. <laughs> oh, did that have a uh, who it was? Um, was Adrian Barbeau in that one? Did she reprise her role? I, I thought she was in both, but. Did Jack Elam come back with I've his eye? I've told a story before that I saw Cannibal Run. I I probably saw that in the movies 
in the actual theater more times than I've seen any other movie, <laughs> only because I thought I was, I couldn't believe, you know, when Adrian Barbeau, she would always get out of getting the ticket from unzipping her jumpsuit and showing her cleavage. Right, right, and right. I thought if I see it enough times, there's got to be a cut where she actually takes a boob out. And I thought if I, if I go to see the movie enough times, maybe I'll see that cut. Like they'll just slip it in. I, that's what I thought they did. I thought they did it that way. If I go over to the theater in Ronkonkoma, surely they'll show. <laughs> it was like Clue. You know, it was like a different ending right, depending right, on what you right, saw. Right, yeah. Maybe the one in Roslyn will show. Nope, still no boob. <laughs> Those prudes in Syosset won't show it. But. <laughs> I think my parents were like, why do you want to go see this movie again? I'm like, don't, don't worry, just get the ticket. Just get the ticket. Nope. Was it her and Catherine Bach in the car? Yeah. Isn't this the two of them? Yeah. Catherine Bach. Or am I thinking of the wrong movie? Am I Catherine thinking of the wrong Bach movie? is in one of those. I think she's in Cannibal Run 2. Oh, okay. Maybe that's gotcha. it. Gotcha, is gotcha. It Catherine Bach and who's that blonde? <laughs> that's specific. <laughs> who's that That is blonde? so specific. Morgan Fairchild. That's not Morgan Fairchild. Oh, wait. No, no. No, it can't be. And it's not Lonnie Anderson. Elkie Summers? <laughs> uh, John Denver. That's it, John, John Denver. Denver. <laughs> <laughs> no one pulls off a jumpsuit like him. There were some good, good movies. You know what I was doing around this time? I was really into computers because my <gasps> mom worked. I think this is around the time that she started to work for this company called Learning Well, and they made educational software. And this was actually one of the. I was one of the first kids to ever play. Before it was a television show. Where in the world is Carmen Sandiego? And then wow. they did Wear and Time in oh, Carmen Sandiego, yes. starring our good friend Kevin Shinnick from Hofstra. Yes. It was it was a computer game. And it was an right. educational game for kids. And me and my sister were oh, two really? of the first people to ever play it. We were like, we we did like the beta testing of it. Oh, cool. Because, yeah, my Very mom cool. worked with this company that did educational software. So we always had like the the newest computer of the time at home. And at that time, it was Apple, the Apple II C, I believe, came out later that spring. So this, we at this point, we either we either had the Apple II, or we had the Apple II C. Wow! Because sometimes we got them early. So we had the, and That's then after cool. that, I think it was the Apple II C E or the Apple II E. I can't remember. Wow! But, and War Games had come out a couple of years before this. I think that was eighty mm-hmm. two or eighty three. Eighty three. Eighty three. So we had a modem as well. But this was at the time when modems, oh my God. you know, they wow. didn't do anything. So we would always try to, like, that. we would constantly try to call our school, Munsey Park School, to so change our grades. But, you know, nothing, nothing would happen. It would just, and you, I think you hooked it up to your actual phone. And I think there might have been a one, I don't even know if you call it a website at that time. Mm-hmm. There was, like, one number that you could call and be like, and then maybe you'd get a picture or something would come on on the screen. You'd get a graphic. And did you have a floppy disk drive and all the all the accoutrement? We had the floppy disk drive at that time. We might have had, I think Castle Wolfenstein might have been out yes. the original Schweinhund, and we <laughs> had right. um, Zork. Yeah, yeah. Remember they were Zork? All text-based games. Text-based so you, games. you would, it was basically choose your own adventure. They yeah, all exactly. sound made up to me. Like I didn't play, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but like, you just said those names. I was like, he's just playing, he's just making up names. And then Dan's <laughs> like, yeah, I remember that. I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> there was a game that was a text game of um, oh, what's that? 
book, Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's, Guide, to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We mm-hmm. had that as well. Yeah. 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 yeah and yeah. it was cool. And it was just like, it would start you off and you didn't know. With these games, there were no instructions. So no, you just had just to try shit until yeah, you <laughs> stumbled on something. I'm going to throw a name at you from January 1984, gentlemen. Throw it out. I'm going to catch it. Terry Jean Bollet. Do you know who that is? Terry Jean Bollet. It's, it's, it's tickling something. It's tickling something <laughs> in my memory. This might help you. Is this it's like a kid who was killed? I am a real American kid. Fight for the rights of every man, man. I am a real American. Fight for what's right. Fight for your life. Terry Jean Bollet is better known as Hulk Hogan, gentlemen. Oh. <laughs> January 1984. You idiot. He, he breaks out of the camel clutch. And pins yes. the Iron Sheik to become <laughs> the WWF champion for the first time. Oh my and God. changes the face of wrestling. This It happens in this month, January yeah. 1984. Wow. Everything God changes bless. in wrestling. It's Cindy Lauper, Wendy Richter, the, uh, Roddy Piper, yeah. Andre the Giant. Like this is the, this right now, January 84 is the wow. moment that the floodgates open and everything changes. We had a backyard wrestling uh, league called the Island Wrestling Alliance. And uh, I was Dan the man. It was a perfect name for me because uh, it rhymed. And I would, uh, you know, do the elbow mm. smash on my on my friends in my friend uh, Rich Capizano's backyard, my buddy Nick and my buddy Chris, and we had it. We had a we had a big wrestling league out there. I remember being um, lifted up in a suplex and then dropped uh, onto a rock that oh, no one Jesus. saw in his backyard, oh my God. like in the middle of my chest, and it was like, oh God! They were like, what's the matter with you? It's like you guys dropped me on this rock sticking out of the ground that we didn't see. It was like a big rock in his backyard, oh and I was God. very uh, injured. But that was the, it. Was this was the era when it was like, you know, we got together to wrestle. I, I talked about this in an earlier episode. This must have been the time when I had, because we had the wrestling league as well at Munsey Park, and this is when I was Tiger Shung Lee, and yeah. we were having Glenn Apprahamian with Snooka. You remember Glenn Apprahamian, right? I do. I do. I remember him from this podcast, I, for, because but, for some inscrutable reason, I didn't cut it. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> Who was Suds? Who did Suds uh, depict? Suds was a pacifist. <laughs> so it went to another school. He went to St. Mary's. So oh, I didn't, we didn't go to the same elementary school. He was the but referee. Yeah, so this must have been that exact same time, Dan. We, we had our leagues going uh, concurrently. One year after this, we have WrestleMania. And then, you know, everything goes, everything just goes to the moon. But before this, you had all these like ancillary sort of wrestling. You would catch it on TV and it was like, you know, the Von Erichs or you might see Dusty Rhodes or Ric Flair or one Dusty of those guys, Rhodes, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, on the, on, uh, <laughs> on, on cable, you would catch it at a friend's house or, you know, you'd come across it, but this is right now, January 84 is when it really starts to, That's because Hulk cool. Hogan had been in Rocky three as Thunder yes. Legs, Thunder, yes. Lips. Yeah. Oh, Thunder Lips. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, everything starts to, everything starts to change right here. And it's all because of Vince McMahon. I mean, Vince McMahon is like, you know, um, this whole cable TV thing, we can take this. It's really because of Vince McMahon and Ted Turner. That's who really, you know, um, basically. What about Mean Gene Oakland? This is when he debuts as well. Mean Gene, Roddy Piper, all those guys basically make their make their mark right now at this time. I remember it so vividly. I remember that the uh, uh, I was just saying, uh, telling you guys, I've been watching a lot of the old Saturday Night Lives on on Peacock because they've got all 46 seasons. And I remember Mm -hmm. the year I first started watching it was 84, really, when Eddie Murphy was on the way out and. 
Billy Crystal was coming in and those guys, you know, so. Um, That's the non-Lorne Michaels season, right? Those those two or three seasons are non-Lorne Michaels. Yeah, Lorne Michaels comes back. This is a really special time on SNL. I remember like whenever Saturday Night Live was off for a week, it was there was wrestling on like that was uh, Saturday Night's main event. Yes. Saturday night's main event is every like three weeks or four weeks, there'd be wrestling yes. instead of Saturday night live. And that's, and that only started right now around this year. I think it was, all, it was the synergy of it. Like you say, it was like all of a yeah. sudden it exploded. It was like music videos. It was like a year behind that because that was the other thing they'd have a NBC would have Friday night videos, uh, you know, like it was right. like, it was like, they were like, we're broadcast. We want to be cable. We want to have all this what's this music videos and wrestling and all this shit you get on those other stations? We'll just, let's do one night a month, you know, where people can watch it here. This is the first year of the MTV um, music video or video music. Well, that's what I say. This was a really big year. year for music too. Yeah. Cause Van yeah. Halen's 1984 came out earlier this month. Great album. And that fucking blew my head apart. <laughs> you got Purple Rain. I was obsessed with that album. Purple Rain came Purple out. Rain, born in yeah, the USA. Madonna, born in the USA. Oh my God. Now you had just um, started junior high, Jason, right? I had started junior high, and yes, and I, I I had told this story once before, and then I cut. See, I cut stuff of mine. I <laughs> I, I cut this whole story from another. It always seems like episode. it's me. I know that's why I always get the texts late at night. Wait, <laughs> no, January of eighty four. I was just about to get that full leg cast off. Uh, I had what? I had been what? I had been in a cast. Yeah, this is how they treated things. That remember, I told you guys this story, but it didn't stay on the episode. I had dislocated my knee um, in seventh grade by sitting in a chair. Oh, I, I, that's I, it was right. the it was the it was the action of sitting in a chair that did it. Yeah, I was not a very athletic or coordinated. No wrestling for me. No anything for me. Not not really the most uh, you know physically capable. No, I was. Uh, and Saturday Night Live comes into play, too, because this is when I was it was before I thought I would want to act, quote unquote. But it was when I at the time when I like loved doing stupid voices and I loved writing silly sketches and things. And uh, and in my English class, I wrote we would do creative writing. And I always wrote I always wrote in dialogue and it was always like characters talking to each other. And, that you know, and then if we were asked to read something out loud, I would, you know, apply different voices, whether it was celebrities <laughs> or different accents or whatever. And I would read these things. And then. For like some project, I started writing a parody of The Godfather that was like a little bit Saturday Night Live, a little bit Mad Magazine, whatever. And I wrote this thing out and it was like epic. It was so long. And uh, and my grandfather bought me like the soundtrack to The Godfather. And I decided I was going to record like I would record myself reading this whole thing, playing all the different parts and all the different characters. And uh, and so I had like a tape recorder with the Godfather music and on one side, then I had another tape recorder that I would speak into and I'd, I'd play the music and I'd, I, and I'd start recording and I'd read the whole thing. So I had this tape and uh, my English teacher was like, well, we'll present it like before Thanksgiving break. That'll be our little thing. You can play the tape and we'll listen to the tape with the music and stuff. And I was like, yay. So I go and I'm, you know, I'm all excited. I bring in my own tape recorder from home and I set it up at the front of the classroom and everybody's going to have to listen to my bullshit for like 25 <laughs> minutes or whatever. And I guess, I don't know, maybe I was just nervous and excited. And I went to go sit back in my seat and literally as I sat down, I guess I just sat down in a way that a human has, doesn't normally sit. And somehow like I- your leg behind I, you? Something. I torqued my, I, I sat down and I just felt like this weird, warm, like this 
something slipped. It wasn't like a break. It was like something just slipped. Something was just wrong. Oh like your God. body. I was like, ooh, something's wrong in my body <laughs> and my leg isn't moving right. And I looked down and yeah, the kneecaps like out to the side. And I was like, oh. how the fuck did I even do this? And and I had literally just pressed play on this stupid tape. And so there's my stupid voice going through the classroom. And I sat down and then I'm raising my hand and I'm like, I think I think I broke my leg. I think I broke my leg. And <laughs> kids are laughing. And then the teacher's like, enough already. Are you not getting enough attention right now? <laughs> and I was and I was like, no, no, no. I think I broke my leg. And then the girl sitting in front of me, she turns around, she looks and she goes, she screams and and in my memory faints. I don't know if she actually <laughs> fainted, but her her reaction was so dramatic. She was like, ah, it was it was like shark, shark. It was, I, I mean, it was and everybody looked and then everybody's like, oh, God. And my stupid voice is playing. Going, oh, yeah, I'm going to make you an offer. You can't refuse in the background. But why was your leg like twisted in a weird way? Was it, it like it, over your shoulder or something? No, or? it was just, no, it was just, it was bent, but it was like the kneecap had just slid out to the side. It, 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 oh. I've had that experience many times since. And I even had surgery to try to correct wow. it or help it. It was just something, you know, and then I went to the doctor and they, they did x-rays and they were like, well, he had a you had a growth spurt recently and, and not everything things weren't catching up you know they you, now they have more advanced things to put on the leg you know again i've had these injuries so many times but this they just like plastered me up like it was a broken bone they just like put the whole leg from like the hip down to the wow. foot in a cast didn't give me any like exercises or physical therapy for it they were just like all right well that should you know just uh you know, let it heal. But it was like, heal from what? What happened exactly? Nobody could really say. I remember going to, like, going for a checkup of the doctor, and it was like, it was something out of a movie. It was like, literally must have been the Christmas party at the, uh, at the, the doctor's office. And everybody's like walking around like, woo, like with drinks in their hands and nurses and doctors. And I'm like, I don't think I'm getting the best care today. You know, like I was in the waiting room for a while and they're like, all right, come on in. And they're like, yeah, that should be, uh, that should be healing up nicely. But because I don't they think gave I'm me- getting the best <laughs> care today. Excuse me. I don't you, think I'm getting the best care today. Put down up, your Manhattan kid. for a second. Um, <laughs> but I was because then they, the cast came off at the end of January and I was like, wow, it felt like and everything had atrophied. Like my leg was in worse condition because I wasn't given any kind of exercises to do oh, wow. in the cast or any. I, I didn't know. I was like, I guess it'll just get better. But it actually got weaker so anyway that's not the fun part of the story that i'll cut but the, the fun part is, <laughs> is, is is injuring myself while uh, sitting in a chair as my voice is booming through the classroom uh, with my idiocy my patented idiocy so there you go 84 what a time to be alive when you uh went to the hospital did people come to visit you or were you a lonely guy you did it i was trying to figure i was like i couldn't think of anything the lonely guy i'm here i'm never gonna leave you now the tender heartbreaking story of a man doomed to go to bed with his bed first time lonely guy he didn't know it how many in your I'm alone. But he was a lonely guy. And he wasn't alone. Morris, where are you? Marilyn! They were everywhere. Marilyn, my love! Where are you, boy? He tried his best to meet women. Working women. 
First National Bank. Hi, Carol Zoll, please. I'm sorry, she's all tied up right now. Pretty women. Do you want to go to dinner? I'm a man. Anything was better than sleeping alone. Greeting card writer Larry Hubbard, played by Steve Martin, is on his own after he discovers his longtime girlfriend cheating on him. When not commiserating with fellow loner Warren, played fantastically, in my humble opinion, by Charles Grodin, Larry spends his time pursuing the oft-married Iris, played by Judith Ivey, and writing what will ultimately become a best-selling guide to the lonely life. Although All of Me would redeem Martin at the box office later this same year, The Lonely Guy was a flop, earning $2 million over its opening weekend on its way to only $5.7 million worldwide. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of The Lonely Guy? I remember seeing this when it first came out. I don't know if I saw it in... Yeah, I, I have very fond memories of this movie. Uh, as as I do of all of the early Steve Martin movies, like The Man with Two Brains and, and <laughs> all of me. I, I don't remember if I saw this. I, I, I feel like I saw this in the theaters, but it's R. So I don't know mm. how I would have gotten in. So so maybe I saw it on cable or it could have been that I saw it on, on VHS tape, as I've mentioned Why before. Why is it R? That's my, weird. my friend Josh had. There's a little nudity in it. There was, there's a little nudity. There's a, there's a, a, a nipple shot. In the beginning, and maybe oh, Jesus. yeah, some, some things that were rated R back then, I I go back and watch. I'm like, I don't really understand that, but I guess we're so, <laughs> you know, things have just gone crazy now that it's you know, yeah. it could be like a, a a full on threesome and someone's head getting chopped off and shoved up, you know, someone's ass, you know, and be like, well, that's PG thirteen because we're just so you know immune to all that. Anyway, but I remember watching it back then and finding it hysterical, and when I rewatched it. You know, it was one of those movies where again, I was like, all these things came back. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. There's this and that happens. And I forgot how good Charles Grodin was oh and God. just oh. with the fern and like so many different things. I don't like to take naps. I don't like to wake up more than once a day. Cause when I first wake up, I get that shock of who I am and everything. I really don't like to do that more than once a day. I thought the first, I, I was laughing out loud for the first half of the movie. Yeah. And then the second half of the movie, I thought, okay, let's, let's, and I hate to say it, but yeah. it was around the time when he meets Judith Ivy. I agree with you a hundred percent. I felt the exact same way. I was like, <laughs> I had never seen it before and didn't know what to expect from it. I thought it was much more of a, a lightweight. I mean, not that it isn't lightweight, but like more like, um, more romantic comedy ish and more in the Roxanne vein, which is a movie I love than, mm -hmm. Then as then as weird as it was, it was actually much more in the kind of the jerk vein or man with two totally. brains vein that yep. I then I realized I was like, there were parts of it that were very like airplane or not, like very sight gaggy and like that incredible scene. I think it's great when they're all the different guys jumping off the bridge and the matter no, of fact, everybody goes great. to that bridge to jump the fuck yeah. off and kill yeah. himself. That was, was the sequence that made Taylor laugh out loud. The yeah. Like person after person. just <laughs> oh, going. God. There's something also like very, Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks. Totally. Yeah. Like in the beginning yeah. when they're like, you know, the first lonely guy and they see the caveman. Yeah, it was like right history, of the world. history of the world. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Right. But then at the same time, 
then juxtapose. This is kind of a Franken movie too. When I use that term about like things that are stitched <laughs> together that don't quite fit, because it has that tone, and there's like the direct address, like stuff that's very sketch comedy, and then other stuff that is very Neil Simon or Murray Schiskel, and like the law or Seinfeldian before there was Seinfeld, like 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 <laughs> it, like Charles Grodin is like George, and Steve Martin is like Jerry, like sitting on a bench, like talking about yeah. literally talking about nothing and just kind of going through like the, that long discussion yeah. of I got to get a comb. And like, yeah, what do you have for lunch? You're like talking about different people's hair and the getting a haircut. Over, the swoop over yeah, is the, a great. That, it's, right, so yeah. my it's so yeah. Seinfeld. It's so Seinfeld. This was pre toupee Grodin, too. Right. It really yeah, was. Yeah. yeah. You know what gets me? I go to get a haircut. They charge me like four bucks, which is the same amount of money they would charge anybody to come in. But like, say a guy like Michael Land that goes into the shop where I go, they would charge him four bucks. Yet he's got like a hundred times more hair than I do. By rights, they should be charging Michael Land in like four hundred dollars. Yeah, but they don't charge it by how much hair you've got. They charge it. They're, they're paid to make it look good with what you've got. You know, I don't even know if they've done that. I mean, how does that look? See, that's what I'm saying. You ever try maybe like swooping it over? You know how some guys that grow their hair real long, and then like they swoop it over. You can do a lot like that. You can get a pompadour and everything. My hair doesn't that. grow long enough to swoop it over. Besides, I think when you see a guy with his hair swooped over, you know he's like doing it to cover up something. Yeah. And if a guy has a lot of hair, he's not going to. Guy has a lot of hair, he's not going to swoop it over. I thought he was wonderful. I was like, God, that guy oh, is God. so good. I mean, I love him in Midnight Run, and I've always loved him. But I was like, Oh, yeah. he's really, really good, and he's my favorite thing about this movie. It's really, it's a really sad character. He's, oh yeah, he's sort of heartbreaking. And I, you know what, I thought. And I couldn't remember as I'm watching this, I'm going, oh, God, does wait, does he actually kill himself? And I suddenly had this memory (laughs) that like the movie turns now it doesn't. He tries to, but then it's it's played off as funny. But as I'm watching, it, I'm thinking, holy shit, I think there's like a really sad scene where Steve Martin (laughs) calls him up and he's, he's actually dead. Oh, God. And the way, but the way Grodin is playing it, I don't mean to make light of that, but the way Grodin is playing it, I mean, he's, it's, it's a really sad, oh, yeah. depressed character. I mean, the scene where he's playing chess with the robot. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh my God, it's, it's heartbreaking. Brilliant. Yeah. Moves 14 through 17. You played like an asshole. <laughs> that <laughs> is, a, that really killed funny. me. So funny. No one does There's, a slow burn like Grodin, man. Oh God. I think, I think Grodin, you know, uh, steals this movie. Yeah, absolutely fucking mm-hmm. puts this movie into a into a bag and t- carries it away without Grodin. You know, I don't think this movie really works half as well as it did. But, you know, something um, Taylor was watching it with me and she's like, you know, I don't really it, it's it's too it, it's Grodin doesn't work for me in this, she said, because he's too attractive. And I was like, have you lost your mind? She <laughs> she's like, but he's so. I, he's like I I only really know him from the Beethoven movies, and he's so attractive in that in those oh movies. Beethoven said, said yes. no one ever <laughs> except your wife. Very wow. attractive in those Beethoven the movies. Da- <laughs> <laughs> I was like, of- are you? kidding me right now she's like there's he's a lot very, of beethoven very... erotica online that you can find that's, uh... honey who, who's your free pass who's your free pass in the marriage oh the dad from the beethoven movie yes she finds him very sexy in those movies only if the dog's there too <laughs> only if all the dogs are there <laughs> only if the dogs uh, are watching <laughs> but uh, i i just found that so so funny that she was like yeah i don't buy him in this but no he 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 is uh 
he's absolutely steals the movie I, for a good chunk of it. I was like, Groden kind of should have been the lead in this. He would have been better as the, he is as the Larry. lonely guy. He's, the, he's been great. really the lonely he guy. Yeah. Is. This movie held me for longer than the halfway point. Like it, it yeah. held me for, for a good, for a good two thirds of it, almost three quarters of it. I was like, this is a good movie because this kind of satire is very hard to do. It's almost harder to do yes. than the kind in the jerk. This is sort of like a subtle, more subtle satire. It's not really social satire, but it's like we're going to we're going to take each of these situations and do a quarter turn on it so that you yeah. get the feeling of what it's like to be this lonely or mm-hmm. to go on a date or to yeah. be this sort of hapless. And it's it's harder to do than what Carl Reiner's doing in The Jerk, I think, which is broader. It's harder than Mel Brooks, I yeah. think. And I, I think it. And it's not always successful. The scene with the where he's sneezing and she's orgasming does not work. No, that doesn't that doesn't land. That would that was like right out of the jerk. That jump back to the jerk. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's where it falls off for me. And I'm like, oh, now I'm no longer invested because they went too far towards that broad, you know, almost just silliness that 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 you would buy in an airplane movie, but not in this. It was so long. It was a long scene. And it's kind of it's cruel in a way too to be like, oh, you don't know what you know what I mean? To be like, oh, yeah, you're I not sure if you had an orgasm. Uh, that's an orgasm. There, right, there you go. Yeah, Enjoy yourself. It was a right, little weird. Right, right. It was a little dumb, and it and it went on too long, and that's where it piffled out for me. Like that, it yep. just kind me of well. dropped it just off. ran out of steam. It just ran yeah. out of steam. And that's literally what I wrote. I said it's a ninety minute movie, but it runs out of steam after about fifty, which is exactly what you say, Dan, because it's past the halfway point. Yeah. But then it, it doesn't get to the finish line. It can't really sustain. And it you're right, did. Fred. The Judith Ivy thing is not as uh, exciting, or, or yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't have the compelling. payoff. Like when yeah. when she first shows up, it's it's sort of exciting because you're like, okay, obviously she's there. She's going to be the romantic interest. You know, it's such a shame because you're talking about the scene in the bed with the sneeze. The the previous scene where he's in the bed by himself with the pillow, Brilliant. I think is, yes. is wonderful. Brilliant. He's so good because he doesn't play it for laughs. No, he, he plays, plays it so. It. And Absolutely like we, straight for the we've truth. We've all yeah. been there before, I, yes. you know. Yeah. When, when, when we've we're had kids, those conversations, you know. when we were kids, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. was like, did you ever do that? Is that something you ever did? I said, I imagined that. Yeah, absolutely. I imagined yeah. what it would be like to have, you know, a, 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 a real tried and true, you know, girlfriend who to care about and who cared about me. We've all been there in our mind. Yeah, it was a beautiful scene, I thought. That's a great standalone scene. Great. I did think that the movie... Yeah, it didn't have that payoff. You're exactly right, you guys, uh, uh, for Martin. But the payoff for Groden is That's great. fantastic. <laughs> and spoiler alert, the moment where Dr. Joyce Brothers comes out of the mist. Yes. <laughs> that was fantastic. I mean, that's gold. That is gold. This movie had a lot of delightful things and then a lot of things that were just very, it was a very, it's, it's the epitome of a hit or miss kind of movie some mm-hmm. of the things land and some of the things do not and it is too long you know i it's love the uh the opening scene I thought it was gonna be though yes when he when i thought this was this was great i mean this to me was very neil simon but when he first leaves his girlfriend robin douglas he walks out and he runs into steve lawrence on the street and so like i love that whole little monologue that he has where like he knows they've already broken up because yeah she just called me she told me and yes. then you find out that he also had an affair with her just like a month ago and then but she's already dumped raul and she's living with a rock band yeah, like i love how right. that's just all in one yeah, yeah, 
little succinct monologue. I'm like, that's that's great writing. And that's Steve fun. Lawrence's wife and girlfriend each have meat on a stick. <laughs> They're yeah. each eating yes. like a and like Bob, like right. really really old meat. Like it's so overcooked, <laughs> it's old shitty it's, meat. This is like, like the that's last thing. It's a brilliant sight gag. The last thing two glamorous women walking on the Upper West Side <laughs> exactly. would be eating. <laughs> exactly. This movie has a lot going for it. I didn't understand the credit. Adapted by Neil Simon Me and then a screenplay by other people. So I, and I looked it up. I couldn't find anything that. about it. I couldn't understand what that what that was. Means. The book adapted into a play by Neil Simon, and then they took that and made it into a screenplay. I don't That's think so. That's the only so. thing I can think of. Do you have any dogs, cats, children, relations, or friends of ethnic extraction? Do you ever wear loud sports jackets? Do you ever get personal phone calls after midnight? Do you go to discos or have dinner with people known to be in show business? Do you ever put disgusting substances up your nose or any other open bodily passages? Do you own any records or albums featuring the Rolling Stones? Is there anyone in your personal acquaintance who has now or ever has had a sexually communicable infectious disease? No dogs, no cats, no children, no foreign friends or relations, no loud jackets, no late phone calls, no show business dinners, no disgusting substances, bodily orifices, no Rolling Stones albums, no acquaintance with sexually communicable infectious disease, except an Uncle Harry once developed a rash after an affair with a waitress at the World of Pancakes, but he covered it with a tattoo of a Chinese dragon so nobody had noticed. Thank you very much. That seems all satisfactory. I'll have at least made out immediately. You can move in the day after tomorrow. I think you'll fit in here very well. Thank you. You want to go to dinner? I'm a man. It's one narrative, but it has a little bit of an anthology feel. Like we're swapping in and out of styles to, to yes, you know, totally. give examples of like, you know, like a portrait of of loneliness, male loneliness in you yeah. know the quote unquote modern era back in eighty four. But um, I don't know. What I thought it? it was much much more fun than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like a real dud. You know, that you talk about the parallels to the jerk. There's even the parallel about the like the third act fame that like, you know, like all of a sudden his absolutely quote unquote, yeah. his problems through yeah. most of the movie are suddenly solved because of all of a sudden he's famous and renowned. And but right. yes, money doesn't buy everything. Fame doesn't buy everything. And that's the thing. It has very similar themes to the jerk. But but once he like becomes kind of a pseudo celebrity at first i was like is this a dream sequence is he not really as well <laughs> but it's like oh no he is he's on the fucking merv griffin show or whatever <laughs> i mean and I that was, like, was yeah, funny that the two scenes back to back with merv griffin <laughs> were very, very funny. funny that was very very funny merv that griffin was funny was very good in it yeah yeah he does the exact same line reading <laughs> both times exact very lines. funny it's great uh, I got you. how many sheilas mm, uh, i'm gonna go seven I think six. I think six. I was actually hovering around five. And then I'm like, no, it was. It's It's more enjoyable than unenjoyable to me. Yeah. So I'm going to go in that. Yeah. The six, seven seven seems a little high to me, but six feels good. I'll do a 6.5. I'll meet you guys in the middle. Hey, there we go. You're the Manhattan Bridge that we're all jumping (laughs) off of (laughs) with this movie. Uh, Which brings us to Woody Allen's Manhattan. Oh, shit. No. Not. The wrong movie, Jason. It's the other black and white movie. Oh, exactly. Oh, okay, well, that's enough. It's the one where he's more of a perv. Than oh this. my god! Oh, so, not, no, not not, not at diffi- all. <laughs> difficult. <laughs> he's not. He's not. If anything, he's the the most likable he's ever been. Probably. <laughs> he's just, just a beard. He's just a beard. He's just a beard. He's yeah. actually he's Broadway Danny Rose. Yes, and what did your husband do? Um, a little bookmakings, loan shocking, extortion, like that. Professional. 
are you? Danny Rose, theatrical management. Who else he handled besides Lou? One of the great balloon folding acts of all time. Do me a favor. I want you to bring Tina. But she knows you're married. That's why you gotta bring her. You can't ride two horses with one behind. Woody Allen is Danny Rose, a hopeless New York talent agent who works tirelessly for the eccentric, unimpressive acts he represents. When Rose signs has-been lounge singer Lou Canova, played by Nick Apollo Forte, he finds himself going to great lengths to keep his new client happy, including escorting Canova's mistress, Tina, played by Mia Farrow, to the singer's shows. The only problem is that Tina's ex-boyfriend is a jealous gangster who thinks Rose is her new man and targets him for revenge. Woody Allen's black-and-white ode to the lower rungs of the show business ladder took in just under $1 million over its opening weekend, but went on to earn a total of $10.6 million when all was said and done. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Broadway Danny Rose? I enjoyed it. I mean, you know, we, I don't really know what to, how to do an entree into the, the Woody Allen of today um, with all that is known and talked of and believed uh, about mm-hmm. him and his um, proclivities and things that he uh, now is, you know, uh, it, it, it is widely reported uh, by his son and other Mia Farrow's son and others uh, uh, of things that he has he has done. So it's a very problematic person to talk about. Um, but I think if we separate art from artist just for the course of these mm-hmm. <laughs> 10, 20 minutes when we're going to talk about this movie, um, I liked the movie. Uh, I had never seen it before. Um, and uh, uh, I think that it works on a lot of different levels. It's very short. Uh, it's only about like an hour 25 yeah. uh, in that range. So it moves like gangbusters. It is the most, the, my biggest takeaway was, wow, this is Woody Allen's Woody Allen-ness turned up to 11. Like he is so, I don't mean to be pedantic and didactic and we get, oh, like he's doing the Woody Allen thing so, to such a degree, like it's beyond like Zelig. Like it's like, whoa, you can turn, you can turn the Woody Allen-ness down a little bit. Like he's not, like he's beyond uh-huh. Annie Hall, which I think is my favorite, you know. Um, of, Most of, of the time of he feels like himself in movies. I mean, I'm not that really himself, but it feels like the character is supposed to be a version of himself. and this. For sure. Somehow feels like it's supposed to be a character, even though it's using all his same tricks. It feels yes. like more of a character to me. That's but, what I mean. It's like yeah. all of those tricks and all of those idiosyncrasies turned way up. The volume on him is turned way up mm-hmm. and it's all it's almost too much at times, but it's still <laughs> it's still funny. I don't handle Sonny anymore. Since when? Oh, it's a long story, Philly. Really, I, I found, I discovered the kid. He slept on my sofa. I supported him. I don't want to badmouth the kid, but he's a horrible, dishonest, immoral louse. <clears throat> and I say that with all due respect. I know, Danny. They get a little success and then they leave you. That's what, that's my point. Believe me, Philly, if I had all the acts in this business that I started that made it, I'd be a rich man today. I'd like to help you, Danny. But Weinstein's majestic bungalow colony is a classy place, and I need a classy act. Well, that's why I want to show you this lady. She is the Yasha Heifetz of this instrument. She is really something. You've got to see this, Philly. It's absolutely incredible. Just... <laughs> Never took a lesson. Ne- self-taught. Next year, Philly, my hand to God, she's going to be at Carnegie Hall. But you, I let you have a now at the old price, okay? Which, which is anything you want to give me. But I also like that he, as a character, 
is constantly going back to you, you, how old are you? Where are you from? What's your name? You know, he's, yeah, he's do, always he's, working the room. He's, uh, exactly. he's always trying to ingratiate he's, himself. That's yeah. the only I way he it. can get out of any situation is essentially by crowd working yeah. whoever he's talking to. And I find I found that really, really um, delightful. This is a very different Mia Farrow. Uh, than you see in a, in a lot of things. She's very she's a sort of tough as nails, you know. I liked um, her uh, New York I broad, her, and yeah. that's that's really fun to me. And uh, I had never heard of before or since Nick Apollo Forte. He's and never done anything. He's never this done is the only anything else, right? And, and that, he, that's that's a testament to the movie, I think, too. That so many of the people in it were like this was it. You know, he cast people, there, right. you know, these, the, the, you got all the comics in the beginning who I think were working comics. At yeah. the Carnegie but, Deli. Yeah. That's fun yeah. stuff. That's I like really that. fun. Yeah. It's, it's literally, it's like, the, it's, it's the Jewish comedian version of like sitting around the campfire, like the, the yeah. age old art of storytelling around a campfire it's, is like yeah, exactly. these guys sitting over yeah. a corned beef around sandwich. Around pastrami. Yeah, around that's right. Pastrami. Yeah. yeah. I loved that. I love that framework for it. It was backstage at the Sullivan show. You were, you were brilliant. And I was there with Danny Rose. Remember Danny Rose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he was yeah, handling yeah, an act, yeah, that a manager. Sure. He was handling an act and a one-legged tap dancer. Right. It was his normal, yeah, yeah, was his normal handling, Danny Rose. Yeah, always the best. This is really right. I feel like this is right before we get the a big string of major Woody Allen eighty, you know, Hannah and her sisters, right husbands and, and, husbands and wives, that, yeah. crimes and misdemeanors. That sort of three in a row of like boom, boom, boom. Uh, of these are all great movies cutting cutting a little deeper yeah 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 and going exactly going a little a little bit deeper but i enjoyed it i thought it was funny i laughed out loud uh, a bunch of times i thought it was exactly the right length for this sort of caper adventure <laughs> comedy and uh um, i thought it was going to end in a more bittersweet way than it did I, I i felt like he didn't have to go the other way with the way it the way it ended with him you know going back and finding her on the street. I was like, Oh, oh see, I thought actually- it was bittersweet actually still. Oh really? What did yeah. you think? Yeah. I thought I still, just because him being at, you know, the party with all his clients, yeah. you know, <laughs> the clients and- were great. All the clients. It's like fantastic. Lewis Tully. <laughs> with uh with like <laughs> throwing the party for all of his uh That's right. his tax clients. Oh, God. Yeah, I love this movie. I'm uh Good. I, I really I enjoyed revisiting it again. I hadn't seen it in a while. And I thought the same thing as you I mean I have I've always been a really, really big Woody Allen fan. Mm-hmm. And it's it's problematic now. Like yeah. I have and I talked about this in an earlier episode. Yeah. I mean I've had an Annie Hall poster that was a prized possession of mine, you know, since I when I first moved into the city and it's one of these weird things. And Annie Hall was one of the first movies that Kate and I saw together. And I just, I, I have such fond memories of watching his movies and being introduced to them. And this one and a few others, I remember I watched with uh, with my friend Bill Muir that I went to high school. He was a year older than me. And like, I really looked up to him and he was, a, he was a real, he introduced me to Scorsese movies and Woody Allen. And so I have a real affinity and fondness for going back and watching these movies, but it's, it's tough now. I'm not, I, I don't, I, I don't know what, you know, we're, we're getting our, our basement redone and I had to take down all my framed pictures and I'm mm. like, I don't know, what do I do? Do I put the Annie Hall poster back <laughs> up? You know, it's, it's this weird, it's a yeah. very strange is, thing. Is it's your a, wife like, you have a daughter, put that away. I'm just kidding. She, no, she actually, you know, she has a great fondness for that, for the, the poster as well. She's problematic. She's canceled too. <laughs> Sorry. 
<laughs> but it's 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 a really tough thing. It's a hard thing when you have when you have someone who's a hero or like someone who's sort of in your DNA, mm. you know. And then something like this happens, and how do you go forward? So this was this may have been the first Woody Allen movie I have watched since things. Look, he's always. I mean, ever since Sunyi, that was problematic in itself. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, you know, lessen that, but since the really major accusations came out, I think this was the first time that I've watched a movie of his and it was a little hard, but like you said, Dan, just watching it as a movie, I really love it. I love the conceit of it. I love that idea of the guys and the Carnegie, you know, like, as you said, Jason, the framing of it, because it reminded me of my dad. It reminded yeah. me, you know, oh, who's, who's, a, who's a musician, a uh, club date musician. And like that, it, it's an idea. Like when I, when he's with his old band members or people in that industry and they just talk about, oh, remember this guy and this guy, and they know everyone yeah. and they've been, ev- I mean, I can't drive two feet with my dad without him talking about, oh yeah, there's a club over there. We used to play this temple or this and that, you know, it's all those, th- that old school entertainment memory that comes back so that I, I i love that framing and i mean i i know what you mean about him being a little over the top in it but i love it and again maybe it's it's part of the nostalgia of just hearing my friend bill muir at the time always going may i interject may i may, may i just interject for one second <laughs> great it just brings me back to that and i and you know there's you have the different phases of, of woody allen i mean you have like the early like bananas and everything you want to know about sex right. and sleepers where he's really doing like the groucho thing crazy movies it, yeah just crazy over the top physical you know obviously yeah. groucho marks and then you know then yeah like the annie hall manhattan where as you said jason is just sort of himself and yeah you're right mm-hmm. this is it's him but sort of a heightened character but there's something like really it. warm and sincere about it. And I love that he's always ingratiating and he's never really nasty. You know, when he's talking to other people, you're right. He's always working the room. And it's it's really a movie also about, I mean, it's like, it's an ode to like the sad sacks of the entertainment business. Like the people mm-hmm. that don't make mm-hmm. it, you know, but I mean, we, I'm sure we have talked about this, but you know, those, those times when we were first out of college and we were waiting online to get into the equity auditions and you'd see mm-hmm. people who are oh, now who are our these age characters, yeah. older, oh, god. oh god yeah you know and, and they're yeah they're total characters and in our younger days we'd be like god i hope we don't turn out like like them but you know now as and then we did them, we totally did i won't but go to the equity building unless i have a cowboy hat and two little white dogs <laughs> i will not go in there <laughs> Unless I'm but there's something really sad about that, but also oh, of sort of lovely, like these, the, you know, this is their dream and they're not going to give it up and, and maybe they can't do anything else. So I, 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 I'm, I always gravitate towards movies that show that, that side, like, the, yeah. you know, I hate to call them losers, but like the Barney Dunn character, oh, the, the ventriloquist, yeah. yeah. he's, he's heartbreaking, yeah. you know, but, but it's also a movie about loyalty. I find that really beautiful and lovely. And it's sad too, because they're just all sinking well, down. And uh, and there's also the truth about it, which they, they point up a lot, which is when you're that it's 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 a it's like a love letter to we can all think back to like our first 
managers or agents or people who are sending us out, you know, like the people who are willing to take a chance on you when you're like just out of college and you don't know what the fuck you're doing. And it's a, you know, and I get, I'm not going to name names, but it's a love letter to those kinds of the first wave of representation in a performer's life or the last wave, right. For a lot of these people, they're like kind of over the hill performers with that, but it's, um, but there is that idea of like, yeah, we all know this. It's just the truth. You, if, if you, are lucky enough to have to get more success or move up a little bit and 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 need to enter a more competitive phase of things then you you know you wind up questioning oh can this person get me there can this representation get me there and it's just part of the it's just the food chain of this whole you know of of the business and of the world but those people they still are there plugging away and trying to make something happen and taking new risks on new people and and yeah it's it's really it's a very affectionate portrait of of all those people, like you say, the performers and the 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 representation. You know, the, the fact that he is so incredibly loyal and almost gets killed for the guy is very. It's very. It's <laughs> yeah. very funny. It's a sweet little fable of an idea, like you know, the the talent manager who's so committed to his client that he almost, you know, gets uh, he gets cement shoes and thrown in the in the oh, Hudson God. for him. Um, so I really I loved it. I saw it in the eighties. Oh. I saw it on video like right after it came out. I didn't see it in the theater, but I did see it in like 85 or 86. Um, and I remember really liking it then. I, this and Lonely Guy were so fun to watch this week because of New York City in the 80s. New like York, getting so yeah. much of New York in the 80s. Lonely Guy, oh. you're up on 72nd and, and Broadway. Yep. Like my old neighborhood I used to live in. I'm like, oh my yeah. God, that's what it was like up on the Upper West Side. And here... Midtown, the colony, the colony you're, you're record, right there. Yeah. The, the, the old Howard really funny Johnson's thing is, all of yes, that. Yeah. The funny thing though is, this is such an interesting movie because there's this weird time schism. It's like it totally, very much feels yeah. like you know because the guys are sitting in the deli, I guess today in the 80s yes. or whatever, talking about stories that seem to be from the 60s or something like the style, <laughs> the the clothing. That, you know, but I can't tell because I'm like. Are these people, are they just out of touch with fashion? You know, are they, are they just oddballs or are, because they walk through New York City and you see like movie marquees for Superman three and Halloween three season. Halloween of the season and, stuff. Yeah. and and it's like There's something yeah. timeless about yeah, it. Yeah. Well, that's it. I guess right. it's that weird. Yeah. That I'm, you can't pinpoint it. It's that idea of like when you tell a story that it becomes so yeah. nebulous and like it becomes its own thing. And like the these stories become more classic than maybe they really were. You yeah. know, he's like, I'm going to tell you, I got the best Danny Rose story. So it's like already elevating these things to, yeah. you know, to legendary status. Yeah. yeah he's I even like it. settle in. Cause I'm going to be here for a while. So yeah. Yeah. No, this is a long story. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a myth making. It's cool. There's a charm. There's a ramshackle charm about saying like, you know, this these are this is really would be the 60s or early 70s. But I, I I'm not gonna. What am I gonna do? I, I'm in New York City. I'm just we <laughs> right. got a camera crew and I'm, I'm I gotta cross the street with this piece. guy. I'm not yeah. gonna ask them to take down the marquee. I just have to keep going. There's no CGI or anything yet. I just you know if you happen to notice that it's you know I'm saying it's 1965, but it looks like 1983. Whatever you know, I kind of like that. There's a charm. If you happen to that. notice that season of the witches plague, that's a good thing. <laughs> I mean, I, you I, I did be pedantic about i stopped in and watched and uh, i didn't understand where was myers the masks uh, icky. um what i like he it's also mostly made me, about a pumpkin <laughs> he made me think of uh, like many woody allen films mostly about a pumpkin and the thing that i really i kept thinking of um 
George Shapiro, Jerry Seinfeld's manager. If you've watched the uh, documentary oh, yeah, comedian, yeah. George Shapiro is the is the um, Broadway Danny Rose success story. Like the, you know, like two, two roads <laughs> diverged. And he, yeah, because <laughs> Seinfeld didn't drop him. You know, Seinfeld stayed with him. And he also, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a, he wasn't a penny ante kind of manager. He was a bit, but he is a guy who, you know, when you see these people who have like this longevity with a, a um, you know, they, they hitch their wagon to someone and, and that person has great success and that relationship maintains for 20, 30 years. That's very rare and, and sweet. I will say, I thought the movie, I also thought this movie ran out of steam at about the two thirds mark. There was a point at which I was like, I don't buy that these guys want to sit here and listen to this whole story around at the deli. I was like, this is, it's like, get to the point already. I really thought I was like, I just thought it went, <laughs> I don't know why I kind of thought like, all right, you know, there the is chase a little thing. Bit of I was a, like, okay, all right. There is a little bit of a, okay, get to where it's going. We're, we're a little, ahead, we're a little ahead of it. You're right. We're a little I, I bit ahead of it. I don't know why. I don't know why it yeah. struck me that way where I was like, if he was really telling this story and the, they'd be like a check, please. Or let's, does, <laughs> does, does Ernie have something to say in the corner? What was the, you know, tell us, a, somebody tell a limerick or something again. <laughs> It was very, and then they went on the Jersey Turnpike, and then they took a left turn. I mean, it's enough with this story. But I do like the movie very, very much. My favorite line in the whole movie, and it's one of my favorite lines in any one movie ever, is when they're driving, and he's asking about her ex-husband. What'd you do? You divorced him, or you got a separation, or what? Some guys shot him in the eyes. Really? He's blind? Dead. Dead, of course, because the bullets go right through. Yes, that was very funny. <laughs> oh that my was god! As soon as I heard "blind," I thought of the leprechaun. I thought, "Does Dan is Dan <laughs> following this? Does Dan think there's a leprechaun in the car too?" <laughs> I thought there was one in the back seat. I really did. He's got to jump out. Go, be cold. Uh, I think Mia Farrow's so good in it. This is one of my she's favorite performances excellent. of hers. Yeah. Just, she's she's energized in a in a way that. I think she and Woody Allen are so uh, kind of uh, kind of electric in this. I mean, she's yeah. really playing a very different character than we often it's see her broad, play. Yeah, uh, but it's really but it's strong. It's muscular. She's usually playing she's so strong. Her characters are usually uh, a little more recessed and and kind yeah, of mousier. They're wilting in some way, yeah. and yep. she's not. And I, you know what? I think it is too. I love those sunglasses. The it's sunglasses. Like the sunglasses are a mask, and she yeah. when she has those on, she's like bold and brassy and ballsy. And even in the scenes in the movie where she takes them off, all of a sudden it's oh, that's Mia Farrow. <laughs> Vulnerable, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? The vulnerability yeah. comes in when you can see her entire face, and that's I, a very good point. Yeah, you're right. The, she's the, excellent. Um, she is very good in it. And it allows her to be physical, right? Because it is like wearing yeah. a mask. So the performance is mm -hmm. in the whole body, which you don't really. She's this is sexy. a weird thing. This, yeah, that's the thing. This is a weird thing to say, but you don't really think of Mia Farrow as being a head to toe actor. It's all about that very unique face, right? But you take yeah, that away and suddenly, you know, her body is alive with with verve and vigor and, and, yeah. and sexiness and, and all of that. So it was a very different kind of performance for her. Two weird moments um one's kind of weird cool in a way and the other one's weird creepy when they're in when they're in woody allen's um a home and she's like oh who's that and he's like oh yeah that's me with frank meaning frank sinatra <laughs> yeah. mia farrow's ex oh, that's right that's funny 
And it's oh, like, yeah. whoa, is that That's a meta so inside of a meta, behind a meta, <laughs> under a meta moment That's of really like funny. Woody Allen and Mia Farrow are looking at a picture of Woody <laughs> Allen, Danny Rose with Frank Sinatra, Mia's very That's tumultuous great. ex. It's very, very That's strange. Funny. And then the other moment is when he's at dinner at Nick Apollo Forte's house and he has just a couple of lines with the daughter. To the daughter, and yeah. And he's like, how are you, honey? You're right. And he like touches her shoulder and I'm like, you stay away from her. You get away from her. Oh, yeah. I was like, do not touch that young girl because it's like, oh, your mind just goes right of to it Dylan Farrow and what he, uh, you know, did to her and all. It's like, good Lord. You just see the, the shades and echoes of this, you know, and obviously in Manhattan, you see it all over the place. That movie you can't even watch anymore, no. you know, but it's like, you, 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 when things like that happen, it's it's damn near ruinous to the movie because you can't stop going. Oh God, that's right. I'm watching a fucking pervy, you know, uh, uh, probably rapist. You know what I mean? And and it's like, and you can't. I can't get that out of my out of your head after that. It's a, it was a very disturbing moment in the movie. It's such a weird thing, and this is sort of going off on another tangent, but it, it's such a strange thing how when you have someone. Who is that, I guess, just close to you in terms of inspiration or your love of, of their art? You know, when 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 the stuff came out about Louis C.K., yeah. I was like, oh, I'm done. You know, I was like, there was no, I, I was very, I was, it was very easy for me to say, I'm going to step away. Right. You know? Yeah. That's, that's, you know. I, I understand that people make mistakes and terrible mistakes. There's no excuse for it, but. You know, I'm able to to walk away. And with Woody Allen, it's it's always been harder for me only because he's always been there. I mean, in, in many ways with Bill Cosby, too. Yeah. Because he, he was this guy who yeah. we've talked about, you know, we talked about him last episode, who we grew up with and informed so much of They're our life. Imprinted and on our youth. Yeah. And, right. and in good things with laughter, you know. Right. And yeah. it's uh, and Woody Allen has been the hardest for me. You know, yeah, that's what I mean. It's a very pick and choose kind of thing about who you have an affinity right. for and this and that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I keep watching Kevin Spacey and I, I'm like, I like yeah. Kevin Spacey. He's a great actor. I really enjoy yeah. his performances. And I yeah. always think, and you know, it, it helps that he's almost always creepy in a movie. That, all, <laughs> that, that helps. helps because yeah. you're like, you're like, he's a creep, but he's a good creep. You know, he's not America's dad. And that, that rankles <laughs> a little more. But <laughs> yes. But, you know, you say the thing about, yeah, I mean, Woody Allen and Louis C.K., I'm sorry. I think probably one of the on his best day, Woody Allen probably masturbated in front of somebody. And that's but yet we're like, we're like, I can, you know what I mean? Like that's that's kind of him. That's baseline for Woody Allen. I remember our acting team, one of our acting professors from Hofstra. I don't know if she ever told you guys this story. Uh, Phyllis was on a movie set with him. She was like an extra in a movie. Love and Death, I think. Oh, yeah. And I remember her saying in whatever, 92 or whenever when I saying that guy's or 91, maybe before all the shit broke with Soon Yi. I, I don't remember what year that was. It was sometime while I was at Hofstra that the Soon Yi stuff came up and it was like, oh, my God. But it was right around that time. And maybe she was commenting on it and being like, oh, I've known he was a creeper for ages or whatever. And I was like, Woody I Allen, sweet this. little Woody Allen. And she was like, right. oh, yeah, she was like an extra on a, a set and uh, like in between takes, like she was like asleep on a couch. She and another girl like fell asleep, like, you know, like they were like in 
on the set somewhere and just, you know, they were in between takes or whatever. And she woke up to find he had her dress up and he was taking pictures under her dress. What? Come on. I do not know. I've never heard that she story. She told me that. At, at oh Austria, and I don't know that I should be saying it, but I mean, God. whatever. Who the hell cares? All right. I'm not I'm putting saying. the Annie Hall poster back up. No, I'm just <laughs> saying like, and that was her saying like, oh yeah, he's kind of a creepy guy. And it's like, if Louis kind C.K. was caught lifting up a sleeping woman's dress and taking Jesus. a picture- that's ab- absolutely right on par with what the guy actually did and like right. got, you know, so, and that's, and that's wow. like, oh, oh, that's Woody. So, uh, yeah, we do oh, hold people Jesus. up differently now, you know, and, and part of it is because we just weren't aware of stuff at the time that those things happen. And now it's a different world. It yep. is a wildly different world. And so, yep. yeah, we look yep. at these people in different lights and it's, yeah, Bill Cosby. I still, I'm like, oh, Bill Cosby, so funny, so funny. I mean, I think he's a monster, but like his comedy, I, I, I'm somehow able to... <sighs> have that separation it's uh, weird how your brain does that you know because i think it might be your brain wanting to protect your heart or your heart wanting to protect your your soul or something like that and going exactly right i can't i can't have been fooled this terribly by this monstrous person can i am i that dupable am i that gullible am i that you know victimizable but uh, also it, it, it makes you question yourself at least for for me yes, with someone like Woody Allen I'm, I'm like I based so much on my persona and my yeah. humor and things that I liked right. off of this guy and his movies yeah right right uh, you know I, I mean in retrospect yeah. I it, there was a point where I had a choice. I said, am I going to base myself more on Woody Allen or Barry Bostwick in Megaforce? And I should have. <laughs> yeah. That's why I don't wear headbands. <laughs> I made the wrong choice. You should have gone with the gone. Bost. <laughs> you always. I'm going to give, I'm going to give this eight Sheila's. Eight oh. Sheila's. I really, I really enjoy this movie. I think it's, go, it's very well made. It is. I'll go 7.5. Me too. 7.5. Yeah, it's oh really good. It's God, really quite good. And, and it is like, and this one is an easier one to watch because he is such a cat. There is a remove both in the time period and in the character right. that he's playing. So yeah. it's almost easy. You That's can be right. like, okay, this isn't like, we're going to see, we're going to watch Hannah and her sisters in a month or so for this show. Oh, and wow. Okay. And I think that's going to be a trickier watch. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm trying to remember it, but I mean, just because it is like, it, it is that, period of time right before the revelations and, and that's the, the only Sunni classic thing. Woody Allen movie I've never seen. <gasps> are you kidding? Oh, Fred, I know, gonna, it's really, it's yeah. this weird thing. My yeah. memories I've of seen, it are pretty great or that it's pretty yeah, great. But, I've never, <gasps> I've seen, which, which is so weird to me. If I call myself a big Woody Allen fan, I'm like, that's one that's considered, you know, one of his best, yeah. but up yeah. to a certain point, I've pretty much seen every single one of his movies except that one. And I don't wow. know why. Oh, nice. Who's uh, got sack? I, <laughs> I got a sack, but I think you got a sack too, right, Dan? Do you want to go for You want to do your sack first, then I'll do mine? A couple of weeks ago, I received a big chocolate dick in the mail. <laughs> wow. It turns out there's a fellow, I mean, I'm going to stretch this out, but this is going to be like my Broadway Danny Rose story. <laughs> so sit back. Wait, let me get on. some pastrami. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> it turns out because there, there's a meme of a, of a gentleman with a, a, a large penis mm. uh, that I think I've sent to you guys. He's been do making the rounds. you think you have? Do you think you've sent it? <laughs> Let me Merry show Christmas. you the 27 yeah. times. Yeah. yeah. So uh, one of my friends that I worked with, the Lion King, sent this to me. And there was, it was just in a box. There, it didn't say who is it, who's it from. Oh, and, it was, and it was enormous. It was enormous. Anyway, so it was very funny. I figured out who it was. Then I think I posted on Facebook, like, I don't know who sent this, but thank you. And then I, I figured it out. So then about a week or two later, I opened the door. And there's a box 
It's a small box and it's got fragile, do not shake. And it says, it's got my address and it just says from John Doe. What the the fuck is this? I'm like, oh no, is this like another chocolate dick or something? (laughs) So I open it up and it's a severed thumb. And it really, I'm like, what the fuck? And it, it's a thumb. It's like a plastic thumb. Not a thinking, okay, plastic. Okay. Thank yeah. God. But it really looked real. And I'm thinking, okay, this, I don't know if this is funny. This is weird. What is this? And I can't figure out who it's from. And I'm sort of, there's a part of me that's like, ugh, who would, I don't know. This, this is weird. This is in weird taste. The chocolate dick, that was fine. But <laughs> the, right. the literal and taste I, of it. And I realize that, <laughs> and then I take it out and I'm like, oh, it's a thumb drive. You know, thumb drive that you put in your computer. Oh, no, very cool. Okay, I'm like, I still don't understand why they would send this to me. And I'm certainly not going to put it on my computer. I got a strange fucking thumb drive from John Doe. So long story short, it turns out it's from my old friend Josh, who I've spoken about. And the way it was delivered was an homage to Seven. Because we were talking about Seven on the podcast and we loved it. And it was John Doe and uh, the fragile stickers and the box was designed. So it was very intricately designed. Wow. As it was in the box, that type of thing. <laughs> so he says, have you plugged it in? I said, I was like, no, I'm not going to. Why would I plug in a strange <laughs> thumb drive? Yeah, just asking so, for a my computer, computer virus. virus. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But I plugged it in and oh, it's no. a treasure trove of my youth and everything that I've spoken about with the VBC kids and all the movies that I used to make a kid. It's like 20 or 30 home movies that we made. And I've spoken about them on the show with the man who got pissed off and who's pissed on the Jewish (laughs) samurai twins. There's a whole group. I mean, the VBC kids, that's what we called ourselves. I think I've spoken on the show about the, uh, the, the camp I went to the horizons program and York Institute of technology. Yes. With Joshy Friedkin. With Joshy Friedkin. Right. There's all the movies that we made there, which are actually, actually some of them are really good. I mean, for kids movies, they're impressive. You see like, you know, like rack focus shots and like, so wow. I'll have to send them to you. So it was amazing. Suds is on there. Damon, all wow. the, all the, the, all our characters are, you know, our morning zoo characters. <laughs> Arth- Arthropod squad version one. Yeah. <laughs> They're all there. So that was an amazing, and my, my jaw just dropped to the floor. So uh, but I, I, I felt like it, w- it was apropos to bring up because again, it was, the box was based, you know, off the movie that we loved <laughs> that he listened to us talk about on the podcast. And then it just because I've been speaking so much about the, these memories and these, these so people. Great. And now, from the men who brought you Friday the 18th, part 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14, comes the glory movie of survival and yellow liquids. The man who got pissed off, but he got pissed on. Well, in my sack, there's something at the bottom of my sack. I hope it's something from the pod squad. Um, Let's just, let me dig deep down in here and see. Uh, What the hell is this? Well, it's it's a new thing for the sack. I was hoping for something from the arthropod squad. I was hoping for an update because, you know, they're trying to head up to the Pacific Northwest to save our Sheila uh, from who was revealed last week. The queen sucker QS revealed to be, of course, 
Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, who knew? Who would have thought in a million years mm-hmm. that that's QS? He's had this past relationship with Arshila that predates the podcast. He's he's very jealous of uh, of 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 that and of her. A very you know. a Woody Allen esque relationship. He apparently they they became involved when she was a young. A uh, young girl in 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 Oregon, I believe. She's yeah. an extra on the set. Yeah. Mr. Holland's Opus. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And now this guy's going up there. This Richard Dreyfus QS Queen Sucker is going up there to suck <laughs> the queens out of the trees. And we're hoping that the Arthropod Squad can get there in advance of him and stop him. But uh, it doesn't look like this is a, no. This is not from the Arthropod Squad. This is was a newsletter. We've never gotten a newsletter before. Hybrid happenings. <laughs> <laughs> hybrid happenings newsletter this can't be let me just oh, look at some of the, let me look at some of the articles on here <laughs> website rotten potatoes what <laughs> declares al pacino and jack nicholson to be has-beens and hacks <gasps> ranks richard dreyfus as greatest actor of all time oh gene shallot says richard dreyfus more like greatest actor of all time that's not <laughs> even in the right that can't be. This can't that be doesn't scan. Real. That doesn't need scan. It doesn't scan. <laughs> doesn't scan that's not, that's not in the shallot pentameter. It's not a shallotometer. Exactly. <laughs> it's not a clever pun in any way. It's not worth it. Shallotron 84 did not generate that. No. <laughs> you look at another. Turn the page here. Look at another article. Geppetto's nationality in question. <laughs> at a recent lunchline promotional event, famed Italian surrealist director slash houseboy Geppetto was unable to join the rest of the panel in a rousing chorus of What's the Matter You? Oh, no. This alleged, quote-unquote, Italian seemed confused and disoriented and did not appear to have ever even heard of the song. That's, how does that disqualify him from being Italian? This, yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's... I don't think that that disqualify. I think that that speaks to his probably. If anything, yeah, he's, he's actually a, a true Italian. And that's that, what I uh, mean. <laughs> oh my god! Let me turn the page here. Former Sing Sing inmates tell all about life under cruel Taskmaster Eustace B. A Warden. "Quote: He was a monster. He used to make rival gang members hug each other and give each other thoughtful presents at holiday time. It was torture." <laughs> this doesn't. This can't be real this news. Is, this is a real rag that you're. Yeah, in. this is like a, like a National Enquirer type rag mm-hmm. here. Let's see, Doctor Malo, actually a dentist? You decide. All right, I'm not even going to read that one. <laughs> Man, baby, Jacob Joseph soils himself again. Photos on page six, if you dare. I'm not. I'm definitely not. You can just page six. You can scan those though. Yeah, oh, I'll Send scan them. We'll put them. We'll put them on the website too. Yes. <laughs> Tote's face seen in plate of mashed potatoes in New Mexico. Now, come on. <laughs> this is just really going into inquirer oh, this territory. This means something. Oh, this is important. <laughs> oh. Adam the Ardwolf to receive Fortune 500 Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Well, it's actually oh, a nice, that's, nice article there. That's great. Microsoft for Icy uh, Bread People. <laughs> for one of them, for either Icy Bread People <laughs> or one of the others. Daddy oh. Jack, maybe. Okay, well, now, wait a minute. Back this bottom article here. Arthropod squad presumed missing. VW bug, Cadillac brome, and Ford Escort recovered in Salinas, Sumter, and South Bend, respectively. <laughs> Police say they're just gone. Oh no. man, this is just like Silkwood, huh? <laughs> they said what? They said that. They the said police that? allegedly <laughs> said, "Man, <laughs> this is just like, like Silkwood." Silkwood. <gasps> 
Aha. Now, wait a minute here. Wait a minute. There is some fine print at the very bottom of this. Hang on. Let me get my get glasses. Your magnifying glass. Yeah, let me get is. a magnifying I'm going to need a magnifying or a loop or a magnifying glass or something. Get the magnifying glass that Anthony Geary was inexplicably <laughs> holding in that scene in Disorder. <laughs> <That's so nice. laughs> let me grab that. Okay. This is really hard to read. Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. That's right, Super Fools. Your beloved arthropod squad is no more. I'm so close to my beloved Sheila, I can practically taste her sweet, sweet honey. Ew. Ugh. Nothing and no one can stop me. Ooh, hoo, 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 hoo. Oh, my God. All right. Well, this is clearly. Wow. Wow. Who this do you think whole, it could be? This. Ho- <laughs> Oh, 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 (laughs) Fred, Fred, Fred. This hybrid happenings newsletter has clearly been printed up by QS, a.k.a. Richard Dreyfuss, to mock us. Do you think the arthropod, do you think you really just, you know, dispatched with the arthropod squad? We haven't heard from them. I I know, but it can't be. It can't be. I think this is all a ruse. I think, think? It's I don't I, know. He went through all the he went through all the trouble to make a, a newsletter. I know, but just because he, yeah, but he made he's feeding us the information. You got to consider the source. That's he's true. This could all be lies, fake news. It's, That's what I'm it's saying. Truly fake news. Yeah, he's generating fake news and disinformation in order to throw us off. But QS and on QS and on. That's what we're dealing with here. Oh, it says that at the bottom of your QS and on publications. <laughs> See? You're just noticing that now. You are just noticing it now. Well, that's even finer print. Um, All right. Well, look, if the, let's do worst case scenario here. If the arthropod squad really is missing and presumed, I don't even want to go there, but presumed really be gone, then we, uh, we, we have to, we have to get somebody on this. We have to get somebody on this because again, we're not going up there. I don't know. I, I, Maybe someone know. who mm-hmm. I feel like we need like our own Superman or, or someone who was supposed who was to play Superman. For Superman. Do we know anyone point. who is up for Superman at any point? Have we ever discussed And who this? knows Dreyfus from being in a hit movie with him? Wait a at second. Point, Wait a second. Anyone? It's on the tip of my Roscoe. <laughs> Nick Nolte. We got to get Nick Nolte. Okay. All right. Now, here's the thing, guys. Nick Nolte has been calling in via the time phone. Let me work on this. Okay. okay? Let me work on sort of, you know, uh, 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 reverse engineering the time phone so that we can call Nick <laughs> Nolte and get him up there. Now, yeah. hey, there is a plus to all of this. Go ahead. He mentioned in his newsletter, Dreyfus, he drops a Silkwood reference. He does. Which means that we've gained another listener because the <laughs> only way Richard Dreyfus would know that we were going to talk about Silkwood is if he listened to last week's episode. Good. Point. Hopefully, he went to Spotify and iTunes and Apple Music and also rated us five stars. Somehow, I doubt it. He probably gave us like a one or he didn't rate us How at dare all. He? How dare he left he? a bad review. I don't know. But that's the good thing. We're getting more listeners. Yes. So yes. I'll, I'll, I will always take that. Yeah, I'll take that. I'll take one more listener a week. That's fine. That's better than our <laughs> so, average. Just, just creep up ever so slowly. Um, yes, yes, yes. And uh, and and uh, everyone out there listening, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, if you want to write us, if you want to send us any home movies featuring you and Suds, uh, the email address, once again, info at openingweekendpodcast.com. Oh, my God. I hope we can get multi- Nolte on the case. It's going to be a, an epic battle when we get. I mean, I'm here's hoping 
get Nolte and Dreyfus on the same, uh, not in the same room. That would be a bloodbath. But you know, at least at least on the phone with each other. <laughs> at least on a phone call. Fingers phone crossed. Call. Oh, Fingers God. crossed. Let's Fingers see what happens. Crossed. Yeah, I think we'll be able to do it. I think we'll we'll find out what happens next week. We'll we'll get some new listeners and all of this. Why wouldn't you listen to the show? I'm trying. I'm just working towards the segue. I see you trying to get there. If anyone can defeat Richard Dreyfus, someone of Nick Nolte's ilk could. Ilk could? That reminds me of Silkwood. Oh, fuck everyone. Silkwood is a hard one to transition into. That was more amazing than what I was going to say. I was going to be like, why wouldn't you listen to the opening weekend podcast? I mean, what do we do? Radioactive or something? Very good. Both good. Silkwood. Wait, hold on. I got to run to the bathroom real quick. Great. <laughs> Give me one second. I will too. this all in. I will too, and I'll get some more water. Ilk oh, could. That's fantastic. <laughs> oh, God. On November 13th, 1974, Karen Silkwood, an employee at an Oklahoma nuclear facility, was on her way to meet with a reporter from the New York Times. She never got there. Name? Karen Silkwood. Drew Stevens. Dolly Pelliker. What about the radiation effects from all this material? We've all seen the poor guy suffering the effects of sunburn. Well, radiation's like that. <laughs> there was a contamination in our section. They're saying that you did it. I just hate people talking about me that way. Karen, the company's got to blame somebody, otherwise it's their fault. Sounds like they're trying to get rid of you. When Karen Silkwood, played by Meryl Streep, becomes concerned about safety practices at the plutonium processing plant she works at with boyfriend Drew, played by Kurt Russell, and roommate Dolly, played by Cher, she begins raising awareness of violations that could put her and her fellow workers at risk, intent on continuing her investigation in the face of pushback from both her superiors and her peers, Karen discovers that she has been exposed to high levels of radiation. Mike Nichols' film was a critical and financial success, earning an impressive $35.6 million, as well as multiple award season nominations, including a Best Supporting Actress Golden Globe win for Cher. Fred and Dan, what did you guys think of Silkwood? Oh my God, I thought this movie was hysterical. <laughs> it's I really howled. fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I had a great time watching The Lonely Guy on Broadway, Danny Rose, but then this... <laughs> Oh man! This really is funny uh, all the way through to the end. I mean, that's the great thing about this. It never loses steam. The it doesn't just lose. Keep going. It, it's like <sighs> it, it, there's so many different comedic stylings. What do you it's, expect? Nora yeah. Ephron and Mike Nichols, a comedy pairing made in heaven. I know when it started, and I saw Nora Ephron's name. I thought, wait, what? 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 Right. I didn't I know. know that. I didn't know she wrote it. I know. I this movie scared me when I was a kid. I didn't see it, but I remembered the commercials vividly and mm. mostly mm-hmm. just the, nah, nah, yeah, nah, the sirens and then seeing her oh, yeah. being sprayed. And I think I still had severe PTSD from the day after, which came out, I think, three oh, yeah. years before this. Yeah, There was, there was that. There was another I think movie. the year before. Called, it was 83, I think. Mm. Was it 83? Okay. There was another movie, Yeah, I too. think it was 83. There was another movie that came out in 1983 called Testament with Jane Alexander. Oh. Which was also about, you know, the fallout from radiation from from a, a nuclear bomb or something. And 
those movies, they just scarred me. I was terrified. You know, this was, this was around that time when we were all terrified that the bombs are going to drop. Oh yeah. So I'll never forget Jason Robards bending down to get something in his car in the day after the bomb goes off, he comes back up and everyone's dead. Yeah. It's like horrifying. That, that shit was just in my head. So when I saw the, the, you know, when I saw the trailers for this and I saw something to do with radiation, I was like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Mm. So it was one of those movies that always, and even as I got older, I sort of stayed away from it because there was something about it that was just in my psyche. So this was the first time I saw it. And which was interesting as we discussed, you can't, you can't find this movie anywhere. Yeah, it's, I it's, know. it's on no streaming services. Right. You know, we had to watch a, a sort of this weird version on YouTube. I know. So anyway, this is the first time watching it. And I, I really liked it. It's not a movie that I'm going to sit down and watch again for fun. But it's mm. it's one of those great movies where it almost doesn't feel like a movie. You just feel like you're watching people living their lives. And, you know, they, they really, all of them, they all sort of disappear into the roles and you there's times Mm. when you almost feel like a fly on the wall you know especially the the workplace scenes Mm -hmm. where like it's great to see like a young david strathairn a young will Patton. um fred ward ward fred ward is he's so good in this yeah Yeah. he's so weird and creepy and strange and like they, they just all just seem like real people you know just like I said, it was almost like a documentary going into this workplace. It's very it's cinema really verite style. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, Karen, I got one for you. For as long as anyone could remember, this Indian chief was in charge of naming all the children that were born in the tribe. And one day, this one brave comes up to him and says, Chief, can I ask you something? How do you name these children? How do you think of their names? Chief says, it was very simple. When a child is born and I see snow gently falling, I say, you shall be called snow gently falling. And when a child is born and I see a hawk flying over, I say, you shall be named hawk flying over. But tell me, two dogs fucking, why are you so interested? It sort of took me out. It didn't take me out. That's not the wrong word. But I, I was surprised how in the end it wasn't revealed to be this big conspiracy. It, it's it's right. hinted that obviously she was killed, you know, yeah. uh, and then something, <laughs> as our friend Tote would say, something nefarious happened. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there's never like a really big bad guy. I mean, there's, you know, it, it's, it's always just struck me as people who are just trying to keep their jobs. These are just simple people, Midwestern people who just, not even Midwestern, Southern, um, you know, who just want to hold on to their jobs and yeah. they're, you know, and there, there's something slightly sad and touching about that. They're killing me. They're trying to kill me and they want me to stop what I'm doing. They contaminated me, you know that? I know. Internally contaminated now. I mean, did she do anything after this movie, Meryl Streep? <laughs> she's I really never good. heard she's of very her promising. after this. Yeah. yeah. She's very good. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is she's so, she's so incredible always, always that yeah. you take her, you take her for granted and it's easy to take her for granted 
It's true. Even in even in this in a funny way because she's so brilliant, but she's her baseline is always brilliant, and so mm-hmm. right. the, the performance that I was at, and as wonderful as she is, I was like, oh my god, Cher, because I had never seen this either, and you know we talked a lot she's about great. Cher and how wonderful she is in Moonstruck, which was four years later. Yeah, she's fantastic and just so nuanced. She's a, she's yeah, she's a revelation in this. I, mean, I I I absolutely I'm thrilled when I read that she, you know, the one big awards win for this movie was I mean, it's the Golden Globe, it's not the Oscar, but you know, I was I was impressed and pleasantly surprised to see that she won. That won was the big this. news about this movie I remember at the time that it that, as you said Cher was the revelation because I think this was the first or the second come, the dramatic come role the, that she'd ever done. Come back to the five and dime Jimmy, Jimmy Dean. Jean. Jimmy Dean was the oh, maybe yeah. her one other film at that point, which I've never seen. And I think that predates this. But um yeah, I mean it was still like the idea of her acting in movies was still like, what? The end is interesting because when they they show the the title card at the end that says like what happened or follows up. It kind of takes the air out of it a little because it's it's kind of saying like, yes, we filmed this to suggest that, like you say, something nefarious has happened. But right. in reality, we know nothing and nothing was discovered. And she had alcohol in her system. She and had blah, drugs blah, blah, in her blah. system. She had yeah, drugs and alcohol. So. And it's like, it's like, OK, so maybe it was that. just yeah. an accident. You know, maybe it wasn't some mysterious cabal trying to take her down so but do you think they shouldn't have had that title card that's well, like, well, either either own that your yeah either own your revisionist history or or mm. don't or don't go you know what i mean if you're gonna have to <laughs> if, yeah. if the end of chaplain was chaplain with like uh, <laughs> explosives hooked up and everything, he's like fuck you and like hits, <laughs> hits a trigger and then he explodes everywhere and then there's a title card that says actually charlie chaplin lived to a ripe old age and never blew himself up <laughs> that I mean, ending not, would have been exactly better than the actual <laughs> ending of chaplin so i would have preferred it yeah i mean uh, that's a much but there is something about having to literally end your movie with a scene and then be like not that that's what happened here's the reality she had drugs and alcohol in her system so i was uh, that that's all it just took a little wind out of it for me but these movies about um about um relations between labor unions and and uh and um uh you know uh and striking workers and 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 things like that are are very ubiquitous at this at this time and this really felt to me like like that it's gritty it's it's a it's a grimy movie it's a very toxic movie i've never seen so much smoking in a movie in my life they they smoke more on this than the entire first season of mad men like that they're constantly (laughs) smoking but that creates an air of toxicity throughout the movie right even in like the lunchroom and the bathroom there's a there's an air of there's a cloud of smoke everywhere and yeah. mike nichols was a big smoker he's very you know every everything you see of him he's got a cigarette so it's like th- th- this is just like more you know anywhere even kurt russell has a line about it it's like well if you're worried about cancer you should probably quit smoking uh you know this is one of my favorite street performances i feel like i might have mentioned that on another episode it really feels structurally um like gorillas in the mist to me because mm-hmm. you see sort of her learning, growing, evolving, becoming enlightened, and then becoming a champion for a cause. 
And it really sort of follows that same track. She starts as one person yeah. and ends the movie as another but person. It's so subtle. That, that's right, Fred. That's, that's what I was so going to say. You, it you just can almost is, miss it. Yes, it's gradual. And there is yeah. a point in the movie where I go, mm, are we skipping ahead too many steps here? And it's mm-hmm. the point at which, you know, it's only a couple scenes between, you know, they're being very sweet with each other, Streep and Kurt Russell. And then it's only a couple scenes later where he's like, you're two people. I don't know who you are anymore. That's I, I think the, the same exact thing. The Dan. only misstep yeah. the movie makes. It, it's really the only one because I'm like, ah, I feel like there should have been more of a him, him realizing or noticing or seeing that change. So you felt the same way, Fred. Yeah. Share. <laughs> I'm going, you know, through most of the movie, I'm going where are we going to get a payoff with the share character? Where are we going to get an upshot? Cause she's just kind of there, you know? Okay. She's listening. Okay. She has a relationship, blah, blah, blah. And then you get it in a big way in that scene on the airplane. And you just see the whole mm-hmm. fucking crumbling of the whole thing on her face and on Meryl, and in Meryl Streep's reaction as well. And then at the end, when they're hauling, you know, spoiler alert, they're hauling Meryl Streep's car away and she's there in the diner. And you really get the impression that, you know, okay. She told them about the x you, you know, yeah. Did you tell him about the x-rays? Polly? No. Are you sure? Karen, they know everything about us. They don't know about the x-rays, do they? The look on her face, she looks at that window. She yeah. looks 20 years older than oh, she yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like Cher. It doesn't look, you know, it's right. just. Uh, it's the best playing of a lie I've ever seen. It's like, holy shit. She's, yeah, it's she's, really, it's really You just fantastic. know that there's something else. And, and that's the other thing the movie does. My favorite thing the movie does is create the sense of paranoia. Well, it's like you what you're know, saying. Like, all their livelihoods are threatened. They're, you know, right. I mean, it's, it's like, you might be like, yeah, well, what's the alternative for us? And that's that's kind of what you keep hearing throughout the movie. Like, be exactly. careful what you wish for here because we'll be we will be decimated. This If this yep. closes down, where, yeah. where do yeah, we that's turn? That's what jumped out at me. You're it defending wasn't like us. You're standing corporate. up for us. You're standing up for our safety, but you are also the enemy because you're putting our jobs at risk. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. How many... Uh, how many shielders? I mean, honestly, in a movie where the only thing I can say that is flawed about Sayer of the Flaw would not have too many things to say oh, about this movie. Were he here with us? Um, if the only thing I can say about it is like, yeah, there's a little moment in the middle where it it leaps forward in the in her progression just a little too far for me. If that's the only bad thing I can say about this movie at all, then I'm going to go 9.5. It really affected Wowzers. me. The tremendous performances throughout it. You know, uh, uh, the 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 revelation of of Cher late in the movie mm. uh, and, uh, you know, Streep at the center. And it's fucking masterfully directed. It, it gets under your skin, you know, literally. Yeah. This is a movie yeah. about something that gets inside you mm-hmm. and can't be take can't be scrubbed away. And this movie is the Mike Nichols said, okay, this is what the movie's about. I will make the movie in that way to get, yeah, yeah, we'll make the movie feel like it's getting under you and toxifying you. And what are you going to do about it? You know, I think that's a masterful thing that he's doing. So I'll go 9.5. All right. I'm going to give it an eight. I'm giving it an eight as well. Yeah. It's wonderful. I don't, and I don't know why I don't go higher. It's not that it left me cool in any, in any way. You know, it's so funny. It's kind of like 
you know, it's it's Aaron Brockovich without the happy ending. Right. It's like it's like mm. it's not it's exact all the things that we say we're loving about. It. It's so not Hollywood. It's so right. So slice of life. So cinema verite that it, it, it yeah. really does look like you're just you just opened up a door and you just observing for a while and then yeah. and then and then retreating and it, it 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 happened and it's there but there's it's not muscled in any way and um and that's a that's that's what's wonderful about it but but maybe that's that ever so slight coolness i feel to a detachment that i feel towards it because it's not manipulating you in any way and it's not you know strong no, arming you in any way so you are, there is a little bit of remove for me but but and for wonderful. mike nichols to be able to i mean my god what a what a fucking master he is to be able to do that because to come from the world of of improv we talked we had a little conversation about long long form improv before mm. the we off pod as they say um and for him to come from the nichols and may world and those great comedy albums and all of that yeah and then theater director masterful theater director and and theater is you know mostly unless you're in a very small intimate black box a venue where you can't tell a story in this way you know mm-hmm. and yeah. then you've got to tell it bigger you've got to hit the back of the house with the story and then to move over and make movies like the graduate and this where he's mastering this form as well you know in exactly the way you're saying you guys are saying where it's like uh you know uh, we're going to we're going to do cinema verite and nail it to the wall yeah. Boy, what a what a testament to him as an artist in throughout all the mediums boy great wonderful well thanks everybody for joining us next week we will be back uh with episode 36 uh we're traveling back to january 31st 1997 and the release of waiting for guffman rodney dangerfield in meet wally sparks (laughs) oh boy If this is available on streaming and Silkwood isn't, I'm moving to Canada. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. So waiting for Guffman, meet Wally Sparks. And I know Dan will be excited about this. It was a big weekend, uh, late January of 97, uh, because Star Wars Special Edition was released. <sighs> the uh, the uh, theatrical re-release of Star Wars, including all of George Lucas's goodies. Uh, <sighs> Greedo shooting first, and uh, and that CGI lump of a Jabba. Uh, it's all there, and we're going to no. be talking about it next week uh, on opening weekend. Dan, what you got for us? A theme to uh, Silkwood? I would. <laughs> it may as well be because I think the only thing in the hopper has to Tricky. be Amazing Grace, Amazing which is Grace. nice because Garth Brooks sang it at the inauguration. At the inauguration, the that's right. So. We have uh, we officially have a new president. Yes, let's let's Yay. yes happy happy presidency Joe Biden. Presidency. Let's do, let's uh, play him out with some Amazing Grace in honor of Amazing Grace in honor of Garth Brooks and Karen Silkwood. Amazing Grace <laughs> and all the other great whistleblowers through history. <laughs> This is for you. <laughs> now blow your ass whistle, Dad. Beautiful. Oh, it's like I'm back in church.
Ah, that's gonna be so that weird. Gorgeous. When you play that at one of our funerals. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> the opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa, with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. Thank you.